Welcome to the Grow Your Wealth Podcast, the place for active and aspiring entrepreneurs. Join us every week for industry advice and expert information to aid you on your journey to financial freedom. Now from your hosts, Anna Swartz-Lopez and Vernon Williams. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us on the Grow Your Wealth Podcast. My name is Anna Swartz-Lopez with Maestro Capital Solutions. And this is Vernon Williams with Brighton Financial and Insurance Services. And today we're going to talk a little bit about insurance that every business owner with employees needs to have, and that would be workman's comp insurance. So to start off with, Vernon, can you give me just a basic definition? Yes. So so workers' comp uh it's just like it sounds. It says that it compensates the employee to the extent that the, any injuries they sustained were were will sustain on the job. So that's essentially what it is. It is an insurance plan to cover workers that are injured in the course of executing their duties. So that's a that's a summary of uh, uh, of, of workers' comp. So um, before we jump into any further details, though, um, can you tell me, Anna, as a, as a small business owner, what, what do you know of workers' comp? Do you know, um, do, do you hear about, a lot about it? Is it something that you think about a lot or what's your well, I'm familiar with the basic concept, which is if one of your employees gets injured either because of the work you have them do or while they're doing work for you that you that you as a business owner are liable for that and um, I've seen I've seen it happen you know a few years back I was working in an office for some attorneys and uh, one of the other office workers tripped and fell on the carpet and that was a workman's comp claim. And that kind of surprised me because I, I had thought that workman's comp was if you're doing something and get injured in the line of work, I didn't realize that it, that workman's comp also included um, if you hurt yourself, basically, while you're on the clock for somebody. Right. And, and that, that's an excellent observation. And that's where I was going with this. Uh, uh, what you described is what a lot of small business owners think initially if they've never encountered a workers' comp claim. Because the, the word on the job usually implies that someone is doing something uh, in the line of work. Um, and if they were to in, be injured uh, in doing that, or executing their duties, then that would be covered. It turns out, however, that in the line of work or executing one's duties is a very broad base, has a very broad base definition. So let's give a, a simplistic example. Let's say that, uh, an employee is asked to run an errand to grab some coffee or lunch for uh, for their supervisor, and while on the while on the way out, they encountered they're they're involved in an accident, they're injured. Well, the fact that they're away from their job, but they were on the on, they were away from the physical location, but they were working for the company while they were trying to fetch that lunch or coffee, means that they were still on the clock, and technically they're still covered. So, so, any- so here's, here's a question uh-huh. for you then in that scenario that you just described, because yeah. as actually I was talking, I was talking to a different insurance person a few days ago and they were talking about 
auto coverage for car employees. So in, in the instance you just described, you know, my boss asks me to pick up coffee for everybody on the way into the office. And as I'm pulling out of the coffee shop parking lot, somebody runs into me and I am injured. Now, I can see how that would be a workman's comp claim, but I can also see how that would be just a regular car insurance claim on the other person's auto insurance. And reversely, I can see how if I run into somebody else um, and they decide to sue me, well, I don't have very much money, but my boss, you know, the business has more money. So then they decide to sue the business Uh, with that. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's necessarily a workman's comp claim. That seems like almost more of a car insurance claim. Right. So. Right. And there's, there's, there's several things that work there. So the, um, the first thing is if your boss were to ask you to to get this coffee after the regular hours of work, uh, the work starts. For example, let's say you were work starts at eight o'clock and you were to pull in to get this coffee at seven fifty and technically you're not on the clock. Well, um, the workers comp claim probably could be denied because it could be argued while well, you weren't on the clock. If, however, you had gotten the coffee, um, well. There are two things. One is if you've gotten the coffee already, it implies that, yeah, you had already executed the, 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 the task that would ask of you. And so you were technically on the clock, regardless of the time. So if you had gotten the coffee and and you got into the accident after the coffee had been had been acquired, then, yeah, regardless of the time on the clock, then you would have been covered. The, the thing about the auto auto covered on the workers comp, the thing about the auto coverage, though, is that if the person with whom you had the accident, uh, were to sue your boss, then that would be a different kind of claim. That would be a liability claim. Um, it's not. Un- it's unclear how they would know that you were on the clock, but let's say that they found somehow discovered that you were. Yes, they could sue the business, and that would be a liability claim, which is separate and distinct from the uh, workers' comp. Now, is with with respect to your auto insurance? Yes, your personal auto insurance. Um, you could file a claim with your auto insurance saying to fix the other person's car. Um, in the event that you were at fault, um, and the insurance company would would recognize that yes, you are at fault. Now, if the insurance company determined that your boss had asked you to do something uh, while on the clock using your own personal vehicle, which is the case that you just described, then that your insurance company would fix your car and then would subrogate to the other insurance company that from the business to get the money back. So they'll fix your car and then they'll go after your your um, boss's business to get their insurance to cover to cover them. Okay. So it's, it's quite now, complicated. Now, real quick, a real quick interjection here, Vernon. I'm yeah. familiar with the term subrogation. Again, I used to work for attorneys for a while. Uh, <laughs> but for, for the sake of our listeners, could you, could you quickly cover the subrogation process? Right. So subrogation is very simply the act of uh, re- requiring I'm using it to insurance in general here, as uh, specifically rather, as opposed to uh, the general term for subrogation. So in the, in the insurance world, subrogation means that one insurance company, uh, 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 I want to use another technical word, indemnifies, uh, pays to cover their own client. And then because their client was not at fault, they will go after the, the, the insurance company for the person who was actually at fault. And this happens 
uh, primarily in auto insurance, but it can happen in any insurance claim where there's a liability. So just to make that clear again, um, the if a person is uh, involved in an accident or sustains a loss and they're not responsible for that loss, their insurance company would pay to get the loss uh, corrected and then they would seek redress or they would go after the uh, the insurance from the person who was actually at fault for that for that loss. So in the case of the car, where yeah, so that's essentially what uh, subrogation is. So yeah, so that that's a rather convoluted example, but I think it exemplifies what it is that we're trying to talk about with workers' comp. In that, um, you can see that is rather easy to be to to misled thinking that yes, a person has to be physically on the job. Uh, in order to be covered, that's not the case. It's just as long as they're on duty doing something that is that is recognized as a as a. Okay, um, could you know with the car insurance? Car insurance is pretty robust. So, uh, could you give me another example that uh, that you know about workers' comp insurance that that maybe doesn't um, involve vehicles? Yes. Yeah. So, so most of the time, the Workers' comp usually comes into uh, physical injury. That's usually, but although mental can also come in. So uh, in office work, typically things like carpal tunnel syndrome, where people do repetitive tasks and then there is some muscle strain, those kinds of tasks are usually workers' comp tasks, but they don't involve um, a sudden injury or, or unexpected injury. But there are even things that are ergonomically uh, oriented if you sit poorly and uh, you have a bad posture, and because of that, uh, you were to sustain an injury that, that turns out to be chronic, even if it's not chronic, but it can be, it can be healed, then that's a workers' comp claim. Uh, but things like carpal tunnel syndrome is usually the most uh, frequent office-type uh, uh, workers' comp claim. Outside of that, though, in construction fields uh, and in other more physical activity, they usually have to do with spills and falls and uh, bruises and cuts and those kinds of things, things that happen because of operating machinery or, or, or because of there is, let's say, a slip and fall because of, of wet pavement or something like that. So, so those kinds of things are usually relate to, to workers' comp. Now, there, there are several – uh-huh. Go ahead. Um. Well, I, I was going to ask another question to go in another direction. So sure. why don't you finish and then I'll ask my question. No, mine was going to be a rather extended, I'll go to the next phase. So why don't you ask okay. the question? Yeah. So you and I work with a lot of small business owners. We also work with a lot of real estate investors. And what real estate investors don't necessarily understand is even though it's a uh, an unusual format and it's, it's, you know, an atypical business, a real estate investment operation, uh, particularly if you're, you know, fix and flipping or something like that, that is still a business operation. And there's, there's still a lot of these, you know, we've talked about, uh, using business credit for your real estate business. And we've talked about liability for your real estate investment business. So, Here's a question for you. If let's say I am an investor and I am doing a fix and flip on on a property and right. one of one of my contractors is injured on the job. 
is that a, you know, are they working for me? Are, is that a workers' comp claim or is that a general liability claim? Or is there any point where a workers' comp claim might apply to real estate investors? Um, there is. Um, so the, the first question is no. Typically, a, a contractor, a general contractor, um, should, uh, well, actually, do, they do most of the time carry workers' comp. And that workers' comp claim is for people that are directly employed by them, not subcontractors, because subcontractors are considered an independent contractors, just like business owners. And therefore, um, they won't be covered on their GC uh, uh, contract, a workers' comp contract. So in order for a workers' comp to apply, there has to be a direct employer-employee relationship. Uh, so, so in this case, the cases that you, dis- that you described, uh, they wouldn't apply. Now, if the, if the fix and flipper had an assistant that went on, on site and got injured, then that would be a workers' comp claim because that's a W-2 relationship between the, the assistant and the, and the fix and flipper. Yeah. Okay. So, so then the, the thing about workers' comp is that um, the rates are established um, by two things primarily. One is the rates, meaning uh, what a, a business is charged. A, um, what each employee is doing, each employee is doing. Uh, and then secondly, the amount of pay that that person gets. So the overall payroll drives the premium as well as the classification of what each employee is doing. Uh, so let's say that somebody has... So, a, uh-huh, go ahead. So if the overall payroll drives the premium... If I'm a small business owner and I have two employees, is that going to be, I'm assuming that's going to be more expensive for me than if I have 200 employees? Uh, no, it would be the reverse because you smaller payroll means smaller premium, right? So if you have two people, the the, the, the implication is that two people are going to be... Uh, uh, so it's the reverse of, of health insurance. <laughs> health insurance, the more people you have on it, the lower your premiums. But for workers' comp insurance, the more people you have on it, the higher the right, uh, Right. For, for somewhat, well, not too obvious reasons, but we, we, can, we can look at that. But in workers' comp, the, the thing that drives the, um, the premium, like I said, is the, is the overall payroll and then what the classification of each employee. Now, before getting too far afield, um, the government has set up a, a classification code for every single type of job you can imagine, just like they have for every single type of business. So every single type of business, as you realize and you know, being a small business person, is classified by the SIC code. Um, I always get the S mixed up. I think it's standard industrial code or something. But the SIC code is the code that the government uses, the IRS uses to determine um, the classified businesses. Similarly, in the workers' comp world, there is a general class code that determines what each employee does. So let's say that you're an auto mechanic and you have uh, someone in the office. Let's say you operate an auto mechanic shop. You have a mechanic or two in the garage that's actually, or in the workshop area that's actually uh, repairing vehicles. You have an office assistant that's sitting in the office. Those are two, and let's say you have someone else that drives around. Uh, to pick up parts and those kinds of things. Those are three distinct employee um, uh, uh, operations. Classifications. Classifications, yes. Three distinct classifications. And as you would imagine, 
the more risky one would be the ones that are actually driving around trying to grab parts. The person that's in the garage would be the second, and the person that's sitting in the office would be the least risky uh, 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 employee, well, uh, duty, how have the least risk uh, duties. And so the, the fact that the person in the office uh, is sitting around and, and they won't normally go out into the, into the, into the space of the, uh, the, the garage, they say garage, where you're fixing the car, the repair shop. If they were to visit that frequently, um, then you might have to do a hybrid approach. But most of the time you want to keep them and keep them, meaning that they're in the office. Now, what gets small businesses into trouble most of the time, um, there are two things. One is they misclassify people, not intentionally, but because they, they don't see what, what difference it makes, most of the time they'll say, okay, well, this person does this, that, the other, when in fact that drives the premium. So they don't, they don't quite understand that. The second thing that gets small business uh, people in, in trouble is that they initially will file a claim for everything. They'll say, okay, well, this guy stubbed his toe, so they'll go file a claim. It, whenever you file a claim in workers' comp, there are a bunch of things that happen. Um, Adversely, um, getting the claim paid is one thing, but let's say let's use the the example again of having uh, the mechanic shop and the the the, uh, uh, the mechanic shop where you have the employee in the office and someone in the in the work area. Well, let's say that the the office employee were to all of a sudden claim to have carpal tunnel syndrome, which means that whatever typing they're doing is causing some strain on their on their ligaments and they can't they can't yes. take anymore. Yes. Well, so now if they were to go to the to the doctor and the doctor has obviously has to clear the workers' comp and actually approve that, say that that the person's really injured. Well, and they when that person tries to return to work, legally you can't really put them back to do the same thing. So now uh, you should find some other job for them. But what can they do? So um, if you have, uh, really? I had no idea that that was a component. Yes. So you just can't just say, well, you have a workers comp and we fire you because then what happens is if you fire them, uh, they could say, well, you fire me because they file a claim, which is not the case. It's just that, um, if you have openings or if you have a slot, the, the, the law is that you should try to find something else for them. Uh, if you can't, it is a good faith effort and you can't find anything else for them, then, of course, you can let them go. The state really, uh, and this is for every state, states don't want people to get fired because then they become wars of the state, at least for a short term, uh, on, on unemployment. So to the extent that you <clears throat> that you have workers' comp, um, you should try to minimize its use for, for, those, for those reasons. Um, the other reason is that there is something, the, the rates are set primarily, like I said, based upon the classification of the employees and what they do. Uh, the, the, um, the payroll, and then there's a third component, and that is your loss history, except they call it a, a modification factor. And what that means is that there are discounts that are applied to the rate for every year that you go without a claim. So if you, if you um, go, let's say, four, five, six years without a claim, you can get a significant discounts on your, on your workers' comp rates. There are other things you can do also um, to, to, minim to minimize the rates, things like having uh, published safety standards 
and say published. You can have a handbook that describes the operations for safety. All those things allow you to get discounts. Um, small businesses tend to ignore those things because they're, they're considered to be time consuming, but then the rates get a little higher. Um, and so then people get a little confused, but um, there's a lot. So what should a business owner do to make sure that their coverage is the way it needs to be and, um, you know, have that they're caught up to date with all of this as best they can be? Right. So the, 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 the thing to do is to make sure that you keep the classifications accurate. Uh, so if you have a person that's driving around and then that person all of a sudden goes into the office and, and, and they're an office worker, well, that's a different classification. So you really should um, make that classification known uh, as soon as that, that switch is made. The other thing is to keep accurate records because there's an audit periodically. Um, usually it's a year, sometimes it's six months, six months, depending on the on the size of your business. So the auditors actually come and inspect your books because they don't, not they don't trust, but they want to make sure that whatever payroll you you um, you stated is accurate. So if the payroll that you stated is less than what you, that when you made the application is less than what you um, actually paid, then you'll, you'll get a refund. If you, if you, if the payroll is more, then you will have to pay more. So the audit does this, determine you ultimately what your rates are going to be. So there is a lot to workers' comp, um, but I think we're up against the clock and we should continue this at, because we've only scratched the surface on workers' comp. Okay, sounds good. We'll have, we'll continue this with a part two on workman's comp. Absolutely. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Tune in next week for more nuggets on how to grow your wealth. Wherever you are in your journey to financial freedom, enjoy the ride and keep growing.